at the depth of my depression, I re- it really hit me that happiness was core. Nothing else mattered. If you don't have happiness, everything else doesn't matter. It's worthless. It's, it's who cares. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. You can also check the show notes to learn more ways to contact us and a whole lot more about the podcast, including our membership. If you want to get involved with that, there's a link. Check it out. We would love your support. Hey, look, I love any way you support the podcast, including listening. That's more than enough. But if you've got the means and you want to help us out, we would take that too. We need it. And finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, like we do every week, like the title suggests, and we don't hold back. So please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is a whole lot to learn. Today, I am talking with Roger. Roger lives in Mexico, and he is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Roger. So where exactly do you reside? Uh, I am in the Yucatan, uh, Mexico. What part? A little bit north uh, west of Merida. And where are you? You're on the East Coast. Where? I'm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Oh, okay. That's cool. It's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for my exit strategy, but it's a financial constraints, but blah, blah, blah. Mexico, man. Big part of the reason why I'm down here. You know, it's just, it's affordable. And there, everything's available, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. Lots of gringos down here too, so you know yeah. you don't lose the social. You know, if you yeah, I don't know if you know Spanish very well. I mine's you know functional. So yeah, mine's pretty. Mine's decent, not great. I mean, we could do it in Spanish if you wanted to this conversation. But let's- I heard about it. I realize now. I heard about it on the Moth. I don't remember what the context was, but they mentioned your your podcast, and I thought, oh, cool. This is something that I'm I'm familiar with. <laughs> You listened to the Moth Radio Hour, and it came up, so you wanted to share. Now, when you saw that it was called Suicide Noted, what did you think? I mean, you have either an attempt or a near attempt, if I understand, right? Yeah, near attempt. Yeah, I mean, they, they described it pretty well. They said it was, you know, I guess it was must have been your interview. They're saying hey. that you know, it was about what people's experience were of attempting suicide. That's it. That's, that's it, so... I I went out one day. Uh, I was, you know, I decided that this was the end, and <laughs> I decided the the most benign way to do it was to put my head down on the railroad tracks and let a train wheel cut it up, cut cut off my head. How old were you then? Uh, I it was my uh, last year in college, and I took a two years off, so I was twenty. 24, I think. Where, where were you in the States? I, I was at uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, home of University of Illinois. I believe that's a, one of the many schools that didn't let me in. Now, this is a tricky question, but 
what was happening in your life that led you to the track? Well, my uh, experience, I think everybody's experience of, of depression is different. I think mine was a result of medical malpractice. I'd been given high dose uh, tetracycline uh, when I was a teenager, 14 years old, mm. and it had profound effects on my life. I, I think it even stunted my growth. And I stopped filling out, stopped growing at that point. And mm. I fell into depression. And it's it's acknowledged by many people that candida, which is an overgrowth of a yeast, and it's acknowledged that candidiasis can cause depression. It did in me, along with all the other common symptoms of candidiasis. But my life before that had been fine. You know, I was a perfectly content, you know, high-performing you know, good grades. You know, I didn't have an exciting life, but I didn't have a, a terrible life. My uh, parents were perfectly fine. They didn't beat me. You know, we weren't, you know, super close, but we weren't, you know, there was no animosity, no hardship. And then I just sank into depression and I spent the last couple of years of high school in serious depression. And then I got to college. My first year in college, I played pinball. You know, <laughs> obviously, I didn't make very good grades. When I got out of college, fortunately, I had a very intelligent brother who turned me on to nutrition. If, if he hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be here. I, mm. I did try the drugs. I, I was given, I don't know, PEX, whatever the different drugs were at the time, for about six months. And I decided, oh, this is horrible. This isn't working. So I went back to my brother. He turned me on. I had really bad uh, night vision, like in high school. Like I, I it was horrible. I could hardly drive. And he said, well, why don't you try vitamin A? And I go, vitamin A, what the hell is that? You know, how can that help? You know? <laughs> so I, I took it a couple doses and boom, my night vision returned. I go, oh my God, there's something to this nutrition thing. <laughs> of course, this was the eighties when there wasn't, you know, no internet, there was no you know, I had, I think I had one book. So I was pretty much experimenting. So I experimented on myself and I gradually pulled myself to the point where I could function in life, but it didn't cure the depression. That's sort of my track into depression and a little bit how I got out of it. The tetracycline wipes out your gut microbiome to a large extent and candida comes back hard at that point and takes over. And that's what led to the candidiasis, which led to the severe depression. And then uh, and then I, you know, realized that I had to work my way out of it with nutrition as well. Yeah. So. I wonder how many people out there were given that drug at some point and didn't have a brother who helped them out understanding and they're just gone. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just, as I've said before, conventional medicine, I think they play with fire all the time and they have no clue of what the long-term effects are of many of their therapeutics, many of their drugs, even simple vaccines. I think the vaccine, you know, I was given, normally people my age had about six vaccines their whole life. I was an army brat and I was given 50 vaccines, more than 50. And those all had mercury in those days. And so I think that had a, it had an impact on my life that led me to, affected me emotionally. Sure. And I think that's why I think the candidiasis has had a particularly strong effect on me that might not have had on other people. Was it impulsive, the railroad tracks, or were you leading up to that, thinking about it in some way? No, I was thinking about it from the early teens. You know, I would always think, I would think about it, you know, a lot. Yeah. But I never really was going to do it until that one night when I just decided, hey, this is it. 
So you never told anybody about those feelings, I would imagine. Well, I I don't know. I don't remember. I did go to that psychiatrist, you know, who just gave me the drugs. And I must I must have told him. I, I don't know. I don't remember yeah. who I told. If you say the ideating or suicide word or some iteration of that word, people sometimes freak out. Even doctors, yeah. right? And certainly parents. So I have had 190-something conversations at this point. And I would say three people, maybe, that was their method. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's not a common one. I thought I was being very creative. I thought... <laughs> so how close did it come to actually happening? I just went out to the tracks and I watched this train go by for I don't know how long. And then I just said, mm, maybe not. Mm. It's a tough way to go. When you leave there, uh, having to, again, I don't need to keep saying this, but having had these conversations for a while now, I know usually things just don't get magically better because you choose not to end your life. You're still living and you still got all the same shit you're dealing with. So what happens after then? Well, I just doubled down on my nutritional approach and really just, it was just all into intuitive. You know, I, I really had no one to guide me or anything. So I was just taking stuff that I thought would help. I, later, I, I, maybe a year later or something, I was out in the working world. I had this intuition that I needed vitamin B6. I was taking three to five grams, not milligrams, grams. Uh, you can't even get those nowadays because of experiences like mine. Uh, so I started taking that and I was taking it for like a couple months and I looked in the mirror one day, I was doing tongue analysis. I looked at my tongue and I go, wow, I look really healthy. My tongue looks healthy. I, hey, maybe this is really working. And I said, well, just in case I better keep taking it. And, you know, I don't want to relapse, you know, blah, blah. So then a couple months later, I, I, I overdosed on the P6 and that really screwed up my immune system. Instead of you know, I should have just flushed, you know, water fast and flushed it out of my system. Instead, I took other vitamins and, you know, basically really screwed up my immune system. But, you know, it's been a learning experience and it's better than being dead. In the in the decades since, the years since, did you ever come close to trying again? No, no, I I got functional again and I didn't really have suicidal, you know, serious suicidal thoughts. I might have, you know, said once in a while, but yeah. but basically, I pretty much pulled out of it. Then, in uh, let's see, when I was 26, then uh, I fell into Vipassana, and and then at 28, I took my fifth retreat, and that cured my depression. It mm -hmm. in, in an instant, in an instant, gone, and then I never had it again. How many people in the world know about the train tracks? Well, I mean, I put it on my Medium article, you know, so, you know, I don't know, however many people read that article and I've told other people about it. Yeah, it's I'm not ashamed of my, you know, past. I did what I did and, and uh, you know, I learned from it and uh, it's been, a, like I said, a really good learning experience. So I've come so far. So yeah, it far. sounds like it. Vipassana. Tell people what that is because most people probably don't know. Vipassana is an old word. It's a Pali word. They think it was a coexistent language with Sanskrit. And Vipassana just means to see with a, in a special way. So many people have used that word to describe their, their particular practice. When I talk about Vipassana, I'm referring to the practice that I learned. It's taught by a lineage of teachers that were taught by Mr. S. N. Goenka. And in his 
practice, in his teaching of Vipassana, it's all done in the same format. Every Everybody learns it the same way you, you take a 10-day retreat, which is, uh, it's quite rigorous. It can be. I mean, I, actually, I slept through my first retreat as much as I could because I was so depressed. I could barely function through the retreat because the depression brings up your worst shit. You know, that's what it does. It, it brings it up to the surface and you get to observe it. I tried not to observe it. I spent as much time sleeping as I could, but it was still powerful. And I knew when I got done it, it was my path in life. The first three days of the retreat are just observing the breath. And that's just to get your mind calm enough that then you can then uh, uh, do Vipassana meditation, which is moving your awareness throughout the body. And you learn that all of your emotional and mental patterns are all linked to the body sensation. And actually, the body sensations trigger the thoughts and emotions. You know, the body sensations arise first, and then the se- then the thoughts and emotions that, that are along with it arise uh, later, but not, you know, split second later. But you, by observing the body sensations in an, in an objective way, not reacting to them, you break the habit patterns of reaction. From birth, we react. You know, if it's a pleasant sensation, we react, oh, I want more. If it's an unpleasant sensation, we go, oh, leave me alone, stay away, stay away. So we're we're constantly reacting to these sensations, whether we're aware of it or not. But in the retreat, you learn to make them so that you are aware of them. And by observing them and not reacting. So there's a even severe pain, it's just sensation. And you can learn, you can break your habit pattern of observing that as pain. Mm-hmm. It's just your sensation. And you learn to observe it. Like I had a severe fear of pain. And it took me many retreats to break that fear. Staying very still and just observing, not reacting. You break the habit pattern of reaction, which breaks the habit pattern of the emotional reaction and the emotional pain. And so in my first five retreats, the depression came up very, very strong. And and the sensations that were along with it were heaviness. I just felt this heaviness. Every time I'd sit down to meditate, I'd feel this heavy, heavy, heavy. I felt like if I was sitting on a scale, it'd be 30 pounds heavier than what I was actually weighed. And I felt this heaviness, 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 heavy, retreat after retreat after retreat. And then in the fifth retreat, the depression had come up again, and I was really depressed. And I just said, I've had it. I'm, you know, I got to get out of here, you know. Uh, so I went to talk to the teacher, and I was waiting in line. I thought if I looked up, I'd see that cloud that, that cartoon characters have over their head. I literally thought that cloud was there. And I said to myself, well, you know, I, this meditation has been helping me. I've got to give it a try one more time. And I sat there, and I brought my awareness into my body, felt the sensations wherever I was observing. And then like that, boom, it was gone. (laughs) The depression was gone. I was ecstatic. Unbelievable. And I never had depression again. Never. It might take years. Like some of my patterns, like anxiety, taking me decades to break through that reaction pattern of anxiety, feeling that tight, there's this tightness in my chest. And it'll even start to come back at times, you know, because I, I don't think I've gotten to the root of that one. You know, I'm, I'm tremendously better, but I haven't gotten to the root of it. That's amazing. Certainly, certainly. In as much as you want to share, I know you use the word depression. Like what else came up, if you can recall? Because I do think that ties into the broader conversation we're having. The, the, the severe part of it was the, the hating myself and wanting to end it all. And But there are other aspects to it that also 
resolved over time. Maybe took a little bit longer, like a severe apathy about life. You know, I was bored that I was bored that I was bored. You know, I mean, just everything about my life was boredom. And that lifted finally. I don't know when that lifted, but that that lifted with retreats. A uh, inability to look people in the eye. You know, I lost that when the depression came on. The complete lack of self-confidence that that lifted. This affects me and I imagine other people, but it certainly doesn't affect everyone. And that is when you're starting to heal, you look back on a life that wasn't healed and you could, you could view that in any number of ways. One being, I'm glad I'm healing. But another one is that, man, now I know what shit could have been like. Does that make any sense? Well, yeah, I guess you're getting it, trying to get at, do I feel regrets about the 14 years that I wasted depressed. That regret, that's actually one of the things that Vipassana helped me with too, is, you know, dealing with these feelings of, uh, you know, regret and, you know, so forth. I, I don't live so much in the past, my failure. I'm living more in the present. That's one of the things that Vipassana does is it brings you into the present. Yeah. Over over, you're constantly bringing yourself into the present, into the present, leaving behind the past, not obsessing about the future or the past. Every once in a while, I think about, you know, gosh, if I'd had my teens and 20s not depressed, I could have had, you know, relationships. I could have had, you know, made something of my college career, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a very big learning experience. I mean, that's why I got into alternative health and becoming a homeopath is because I learned so much about the human condition that I wouldn't have learned if I hadn't been depressed and gotten through it. And, And at the depth of my depression, I re it really hit me that happiness was core nothing else mattered you know if you don't have happiness everything else doesn't matter it, it's you it's worthless it's it's who cares i wouldn't have had that blinding depth of uh, awareness if i you know hadn't been depressed so right and that was uh quite a while ago the first one the first retreat was in 84 the four additional retreats were in 86 and how many have you done in total? That's it? Or more after? Many more after. Yeah. Many more after. Yeah. I, I went to India after the fifth retreat. I went to India. I spent three months in India and then I went to Australia and stayed at a Vipassana center. So basically I've been back and forth to India a few times, meditating and also taking courses here in the US. And it's all been gravy. So the irony here, not the irony, but we're talking and I, the, from the conversations I've had here and just in my life, most people I meet, they say, it helps to talk about things with the right people, right kind of people, right? Now, I'm wondering, someone who spent so much time more in not talking, more in whatever the word is, meditating, contemplating, reflecting, observing, does that same idea hold for you that talking helps? You know, I haven't, I haven't followed that path. So I, I really should not say pro or con. I really shouldn't. You know, I've gotten so that I'm really comfortable with being by myself. I don't get lonely. I don't need to talk about my, you know, I can just sit on the cushion and work through whatever's coming up. Do you have friends there? A few, you know, I'm kind of isolated. I'm kind of out in the country. Uh, I'm I'm uh, 15 minutes from Merida. It's in a tiny Puebla. There aren't many gringos here, you know, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So yeah, but I, I do know people in the city that I see once in a while. And but I wouldn't say I'm a re- I'm not a real I never was a really gregarious person. I was always a, an introvert, even from the beginning. Like, I mean, I can be very gregarious. If I get to a party, I'm fine. You know, I enjoy the people I'm with. I have a good time. I I'm not I've lost my inhibition. That's one of the things that 
you know, Vipassana is, you know, I don't need alcohol. I don't need, you know, distractions. I, I can open up and talk and enjoy myself, but it's not something I seek out or need, or I'm not desperate for a partner right now. You know, I'm single. Doing things in your sizable yeah. yard. I saw you got a big yard. So you do stuff there. Yeah. I'm, I'm homesteading. Uh, you know, I've got the chickens, I've got the gardens, I've got the, the trees and, you know, providing me with food and and so yeah I'm, I'm i've got a lot of work to do here and do you ever go back to the states you know i've sort of lost the travel bug you know they've they've made it so unpleasant traveling now with the tsa and the customs and all that stuff it really doesn't attract me mexico like every other country in the world the pharmaceutical industry has them by the balls and you can't import anything into mexico that's of any far, you know pharmaceutical nature. So I've tried to import a couple things. Uh, one is a homeopathy kit, and it got hung up at customs. And I found out to ransom it, it would cost me four hundred and sixty dollars, about the cost of the item. So I'm I'm gonna I rerouted it to the U.S. and I'm gonna you know travel to the U.S. and pick it up physically and carry it back, and I'll be and then I get a chance to see my my nephew and his and uh, his family and everything. So that'll be nice. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be great. Um, zooming out for a moment, a couple of questions I often ask are around um, myths or myth con- misconceptions. So do you have one or two that come to mind that you think are worth dispelling here with me? I think that the people should really consider the basis of conventional medicine. The, 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 the founding myth of <laughs> conventional medicine is that their definition of disease, you know, what, what they'll do is they'll look at 100 people and they say, oh, you all have this one or two or three symptoms. You all have this disease. They go, okay. And then they find some biomarkers for the disease or whatever. And then they give some treatment, some drug or something that uh, ameliorates or eliminates those symptoms. And they say, hey, we're done. We, we've succeeded. You know, that, that's, that's a success. Whereas uh, with homeopathy, they look at all the symptoms someone has. So in, on, with the conventional paradigm, you can have multiple diseases. And we treat each one as if they're a separate disease, give a, a drug or whatever for that disease. And if we get rid of those symptoms, hey, great. But then if we have a bunch of symptoms because of all the combination of drugs, then we'll give you another drug for those, you know? Where and I think that's a myth. You know, uh, the the definition of disease as defined by homeopathy is all the symptoms that the person has: mental, emotional, and physical. So all of those symptoms together form that individual's case of disease. And the only way you can judge that you've succeeded is if you give something, and all those symptoms either improve or completely relieved. That is success. I know my experience with the system is pretty bad, pretty bad. Yeah, mental every, health, physical health. Every disease has a mental aspect with rare, rare exceptions. And every medicine has effects on mental, emotional, and physical level. You know, the original way we connected is essentially you reached out after hearing such and such, and you heard about the podcast, and there's the big old suicide word right there. Um, do you think if we scrapped conventional medicine in most cases, not including like the broken arm you referenced or something where we could we could say it's just a better approach, and we have in, instead adopted things like homeopathy on a grant on a large scale. If we offered that here, I, I mean, let's just say North America, but it could extend beyond that. I'm wondering if you think more people had an option, or everybody had these options, 
would the suicide attempt rate, which is actually the something I'm more interested in, the actual completion rate, would the attempt rate go down? Would it have that kind of effect where more people would just, or fewer people would try? You know, just from my experience, you know, my experience with conventional medicine, it led to my depression. So yeah, I, I think there's definitely a component of uh, medical malpractice in depression. I, yeah, I don't think there's any way to know that. I just know my experience. That's all. That's all I can say. Well, I'm glad we connected and, and uh, we're talking. And I thank you for you sharing everything you did. Take care. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Roger down in the Yucatan, Mexico. Thank you, Roger. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com. On Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Check the show notes for all kinds of other things, including our membership. We'd love to have you aboard on that. We could use the help. Mostly just keep listening. And that is all for episode number 194. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.